The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot see. Welcome to Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. And a quick reminder for our listeners again, if you're interviewing for a job, our new course, Get Hired Job Interview Storytelling, is available now for just $199, which includes an online course as well as the small group storytelling practice session. Visit elkinsconsulting.com for more information. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that my focus is generally authenticity, identity, and relevance. And this morning's guest will not disappoint on those topics. Her name is Wendy Ryan, and I met her when she spoke at the Servant Leadership Conference in Fort Worth, Texas in 2023. Wendy, thank you so much for joining me today on Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Well. Hi, Sarah. It's such a joy to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, as soon as I met you, I knew that I would want to have you on my podcast as a guest and also after buying your book. But then seeing you speak, it just took it to a whole new level because our messages are so complementary and their approach is so different. So I I just know our listeners are going to get some great nuggets out of this conversation. I always start by asking my guests to share something about themselves that most people probably don't know about them. It's not in their LinkedIn or bio or whatever. And I do that because I love for our listeners to get a little bit different perspective about the guests they're about to hear. Sure. I think most people don't know that I spent a year abroad when I was in college. So I lived in Madrid, Spain for a year. And that was a really formative experience. I think uh, for most people that have the, the privilege and the opportunity to do something like that, hopefully, you know, you walk away feeling changed by that. And I think that was certainly true for me. Uh, it's not something that is easy to incorporate on a resume when you're several decades into your career. But I look back and I say, wow, that was a really, that was a really big point uh, for me and my trajectory as a human. I love that. And absolutely. I read just um, probably about six months ago, an article that said that people who spend time living abroad uh, generally are more comfortable in their own identity and happier. And the concept is that when you spend time that far away, especially if it's in a place where they don't speak your language or you're not in your family, that you have this opportunity to really consider where your beliefs and thoughts come from. And is it cultural? Is it innate? Or is it something that was simply environmental? And um, so you questioning that makes you more solid in what you discover is what I read. I, I think anecdotally that that was certainly true for me. And I might think we can coin a new term together called mindset agility. I think that anytime we we end up in an environment that is really different than the one we're we're normally in, and we have to spend enough time there that we have to figure a lot of things out, like how do you actually send mail here? Where do you buy stamps? This was back in the day before we actually had email, internet, etc. So those were really important questions when I was there. But things that you take for granted in your day to day life, and then you have to navigate 
what feels like a, another planet sometimes. I think it really trains you to question your assumptions. And um, so it does relate to identity, just like you said, but it's also, it, it helps you see that the way you think isn't the only way to think. Mm. And it invites you to to look at that, I think, in, in a way that's good training for life and and certainly for leadership. I love that mindset agility. I think that's part of identity really is when you have a, an agility, an agile mindset that becomes part of your ability to be comfortable in your skin, no matter how uncomfortable you are in a situation. And that doesn't necessarily bring confidence, but it's that knowledge of your innate values and how how you want to see yourself, how you want to know yourself. Oh, yes, that's such a good start. <laughs> because <laughs> all of what we do is about self-reflection uh, and in a healthy way, not the beating yourself up kind of self-reflection, but the kind that allows you to exactly do that, be agile wherever you happen to be sitting. Oh, this is, I have so much going through my head right now. <laughs> well, part of what popped into my head was um, I studied abroad in Australia, so I spoke the language, but I can tell you in the outback, it didn't seem like the same language. And many I people imagine. I talked to, it was, it was kind of like being in a small town in Ireland or in Wales, where you like, you take a minute and you have to hear them speaking and you have to get it in context before you start to finally process what they're saying, even though it's supposedly the same language. So the first thought that popped into my head as you were talking about that, that time and how pivotal it was in your life, I, I have vivid images in my head that pop in when I think about that time. And one of them is a roommate that I had who um, ended up taking me with her to her father's place in Toowoomba, which is north of Brisbane where I was in school and on a, a flower farm, a carnation farm. And I have this vivid memory of being with Michelle and spending that time with her dad and brother and just being living there, right? We were only there for a few days and then we went on to the beach for a few days because it was spring break. But I, I see what you mean about that, those moments where you have to try completely different approaches to things because these are things you've never seen before. Like the gigantic spiders there that are harmless. The, the oh hunting spiders, they're like the size of my hand, ex extended. And I have wow. small hands, but <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember being terrified of them and having to shift to that mindset because a lot of people in that part of Queensland leave them alone if they're in their houses because they catch small critters and they They're have beneficial them and they eat the more poisonous spiders and like yeah having to shift my mindset around that was a big big challenge so when you think about your time in madrid and probably exploring around there who was one person that made like a, an impact in that pivotal time in your life i think there were a number of people I, I think that I was fortunate to be there with some other students from the University of California system that were at different schools. I went to Davis and, and they were coming in from LA and, and different places. 
But I remember one person in particular, her name was Fabiola, and she um, was um, Mexican by ethnicity, but living in the U.S. And now she was in Spain. And it was really interesting to see her journey because she was already fluent in Spanish. So I think some people might have assumed, um, oh, this is going to be, you know, cakewalk for her. She's going to Spain. She already speaks Spanish more fluently than any of these other people. She, I think, was really candid about the fact that it was as much an adjustment for her um, as it was for us. And I think that really taught me a couple things. One, um, even language, you know, language like Spanish, we assume it's this monolith and it's not, you know, that so when we think about geography and we think about place, and we think about humans in a place, I think we really start to understand when we travel that um, there are so many nuances. And she she really, you know, had a whole different vocabulary that she had to learn. Um, so we, we were all sort of in the same boat in a way. And so I thought, you know, learning from her, that made it easier for me to to not be hard on myself and say, you know, this is just, it's just, you're living in a foreign country from what you're used to. And, and there's a lot of things that are different. And so it isn't that um, me struggling to speak Spanish uh, with the accent that they use in Madrid, which was also different than the one I learned in school in California. It didn't mean that, you know, I hadn't studied hard. I wasn't prepared. I didn't belong there, you know, all those things we like to tell ourselves when we, we don't feel particularly confident. And when we're not always getting positive feedback from the environment that we're welcome, that we're appreciated. Um, and in my case, it was really, I, I really had to get over um, feeling like because I couldn't articulate as smoothly as I could in English, I felt like people around me just thought I wasn't very intelligent. And that was really hard for me. <laughs> I felt like, you know, wow, I just feel like all of a sudden my, you know, everyone thinks I'm not very bright, but I have so much to say, I just can't say it. So there were there were so many things, but I think Fabiola was really a good kind of role model and teacher for, you know, being humble, being forgiving of yourself and, and your own learning curve. And uh Every place is different, and the nuances matter. Mm, absolutely. There are so many things that popped in my head as you were telling this wonderful story. And one is um, I was in an interaction with a woman from the Caribbean, and she said, you know, that saying, Beyonce has the same 24 hours you do. She said, that's not the same in the Caribbean because it takes longer to do anything. They don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the technology that you might have in New York or Denver or LA. Um, and I explained that in Montana, we have really similar problems that I don't have the same 24 hours because my internet is unstable half the day. So, I mean, it's not the same thing. And I don't have the infrastructure to get on a train or get on a plane and go be somewhere in one day. It takes me, you know, all, an entire day to not go very far. So um, that reminds me. And when she said, oh, I never thought about that, that even in the U.S., you there are parts of that, that country that struggle. And um, I remember this class when I took it in, in Australia called National Fictions. 
And I remember reading the different descriptions of life in Australia, people who actually lived there were experiencing it versus people who were writing about living there but haven't actually lived there. Maybe they knew one Australian and developed their whole narrative about the entire country based on the one Australian they met. And I think that's probably what happened with a lot of the students that were there with Abiosa saying, well, you speak Spanish, don't doesn't everybody who speaks Spanish communicate? And it's so different. I mean, even in the US, the cultures are significantly different. So, and and we're all on the same continent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. So when you think about how that transformed you in your, your mindset, your ability to give yourself grace, um, especially in those circumstances, and this whole idea of if you can't communicate smoothly, fluidly, fluently, that people might think you're not very bright. How are you translating that to your work in the workplace? And by asking this question, I'm basically asking you to tell me what you do without telling me what you do. Yeah. I The, the way that I tend to reflect on my experience in Spain now um, includes some of the things I just shared. But I think one one way that I could lift that up and summarize that even further is that for me, it was a very powerful experience of being othered for an extended period of time. And as a a white woman living in the U.S., upper middle class upbringing, um, that wasn't something I had really experienced to that extent before. And I think that that really laid the groundwork for a lot of how I think about what I do now and how I prioritize what I invest time and energy and resources into now. So uh, what I'm hearing is that a, a big part of what you do with your clients is create an environment where they are not othered because you yes. know, first of all, how it feels, but also because you're not going to be successful. It, it, no one is going to be successful if the team, the internal team, doesn't feel like they belong there. Right. I, I think that is um, an important condition for success, as I would define it for what we do. So when you think about a recent experience with clients, tell me the story about what happened with that, that group or that particular person. Well, I, one of the things I enjoy most about the work I do now is that I interact with a lot of different organizations and teams. And so there is some necessary agility on my part in kind of toggling back and forth between organization A, organization B, organization C. And it is to some extent like visiting another country each time. So it has that same resonance of now I'm stepping into this organization's system and environment and certain things are operating there and I need to be attending to certain things. And then there's going to be a different set of things that I'm paying more attention to. I'm more cognizant of. I'm thinking more about how do I put a little more energy into this thing over here. So for me, there's a lot of joy and I think healthy challenge in 
um, needing to be really aware of what space I'm in and then how am I showing up in that space to do the best work I can. And so I think when I, when I reflect on a story, you know, immediately when you ask that question, they're like, well, there's 10 that come up. So they all want to sort of, you know, they're kind of all waiting in line and they all want to burst forth here, but for <laughs> sake of time, I'll try to, I'll try to pin it to one, but I think, um, recently there, there was a, uh, retreat that I led with a team and it was a two day retreat, which is an uncommon. And the first day of that retreat, our focus was really on how do we understand where the team is as a group of people working together and how are, how are, how are we showing up to each other? How are we showing up with and for each other? And then day two was, as we think about where we want to go as an organization, is that aligned? Right. How are we going to um, think about things like vision and strategy and what's going on with our team and bring those into more alignment and coherence? So I think that in, in that particular example, a, a lot of distress with the team. There is a lot of dysfunction happening, a lot of communication that you, Sarah, probably could have been very helpful with. So it's um it's something you know it's something that I think all groups of humans struggle with to an extent. I think in this particular team there there are some patterns that have been set over a couple of years, and the groups are really deep, right? So if you think about kind of habits and communication patterns, um, you know certain muscles have been built. And there's some reactions that are almost automatic. So for me, a lot of my task that first day was um, inviting the group to take pauses in the action and to step back and say, okay, let's replay what just went on there, right? Let, when she said that and he reacted this way, you know, let, let's, let's understand what, what that's about. You know, how could we, how could we get there differently? So I think that ability to um, help people step back and assess and then practice doing it differently is is part of how people learn and grow in that team environment. And it they they it's very hard for a team to do that by themselves sometimes. When you're in it, it's very hard to be the person that says, uh, oh, time out, let's let's think about this differently. Okay. Um, so sometimes I think, you know, they just, they need that. It's not a referee, but it's, it's somebody to come in and, and create that space where that can happen. And to absorb and observe what's going on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, being reactive yourself, you know. Exactly. I think even what my initial or my immediate response to, wait a minute, let's take a step back and see what happened was like immediate defensive what you think you're better than me and uh, i think of family when i think of that oh yes yes one of my best friends years ago said well you can't be a prophet in your own town and i guess that's some sort of a biblical reference i, I don't know but i remember realizing how true that was and how painful and i had a conversation with my mother and she was struggling with somebody at work and i was say asking her some questions and then you know giving her a couple of ideas of, of strategies and 
she was dismissive. She was like, ah, sure, whatever. You know, like I could just tell she was dismissing me. <laughs> and I said, mom, if I told you, if I was a dermatologist, I told you to get something looked at, you'd go look, get it looked at, right? <laughs> I'm a professional. It's what I do. <laughs> yeah, but yes, I, except you always, I think almost all the time in those situations when the grooves are so deep, having somebody externally come in that doesn't have a dog in the fight to be able right. to observe and reflect back at you, you know, to be able to hold up that mirror in a way that's safe and non-judgmental. Right. Right. <laughs> so how did that one end? Like what, what were you really satisfied with about the retreat? When you think back now, are there moments that pop into your head that are like, oh yeah, that was a good moment? I think there was an enormous amount of fear going into that retreat. So I um, had requested and and was able to get time one-on-one -on -one with each person prior to uh, having everyone together. And it was really apparent through those, we could call them intake meetings or we could call them, you know, intro meetings. Um, was really apparent that there was a lot of fear and anxiety and people were just terrified of what was going to be said and what would happen afterward and so much concern around how was I going to keep everybody safe and it wasn't it wasn't a fear that anyone would physically you know do harm to anyone else but it's really just the psychological safety that we talk about uh, a lot now as being an important ingredient for team success. And so there's a real um, lack of psychological safety on this team. And so knowing that I was really um, attuned the day of for how do we make this feel, you know, how do we lower the threat level? So how can I do little things like bringing some humor and some light? You have to be careful with humor because, of course, you know, it can be very inappropriate or it can be too much and not the right time. Yeah, no, but I've also, <laughs> right. I have points. But I've also, yeah, yeah, of course, we do. Um, I've also found as a practitioner that it it can sometimes do more to kind of disrupt um, in a healthy way, some of the energy that's going on and help us reset and remind us that we're all human and that some of this, frankly, is funny. Some of it is. And and sometimes when we do that, it's like we can take that big, scary monster who seems 15 feet tall and all of a sudden, you know, no, it's only the size of one of those spiders in Australia. We can deal with that. So, <laughs> so just having that energy and intention I, I'm so pleased that coming out of that experience, people said things like, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Yes, <laughs> which is a huge compliment, right? even a if it doesn't compliment. feel like it. <laughs> right. Or that was really good, or I was really surprised. Um, and during it, people were able to articulate things that were bothering them, that they were really fearful. They had told me, well, I won't be able to say this there, but I will tell you this beforehand. And and lo and behold, they said it there in the room. So I took that as a sign that, okay, this is, you know, some good things are happening here. 
always a challenge to sustain progress like that, but certainly for that um, that day, two days, it was really remarkable to see the shift that happened in a short period of time. That's awesome. I I can imagine. Like I I know our our listeners can't see your face right now, but I'm looking at your expression, and I feel like there's a particular person that you were working with that was especially I don't know skeptical that you're thinking of right now. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I think there was one particular person, um, and really there were several, but I think one particular person who I think was absolutely convinced that anything they shared with me ahead of ahead of the retreat um, would somehow be share, I would be sharing that information with the leader, for example. So even though I said, no, that's not, that's not how this is going to work. And, you know, all this thing, I think they really didn't believe it, you know, and we could go back again to biblical examples, but it was like, until they had the experience and then several weeks went by, then I got a message later saying, you really did what you said you were going to do. You didn't provide you know, share this information or this specific example. I'm just so appreciative. And I said, well, yes, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, so to me, that was really satisfying to, to, and it wasn't about me so much. It was important that that person have an experience of being vulnerable, trusting, and then not having a negative experience with that and could, could see that was possible to be vulnerable, honest, share, trust, and that sometimes that really does help us make progress and it's okay. So that's the part I feel really good about. Mm, that's awesome. I got a little, you know, the hairs on the back of my neck went up because I, I think many of us in, in the kind of work that we do have had that experience with a person who clearly has trauma in their background around trust yes. and safety. Yes. And for them to be able to come to you later and say, I trusted you and you you held that trust and I appreciate it. It's one of those backward compliments. That was that was better yes. than I thought it was gonna be. Or you're you're right. actually right. you're actually very good. Like what do you mean actually? <laughs> <laughs> right. You surprised me. I thought you weren't really that great, but you, actually you are. You know, we, we do get that from time to time. That's so funny. Wow. I, I I keep thinking about this, the idea of the skeptic in the room, because there are always uh, multiple skeptics in the room, but one in particular that always ends up being that person. And I remember being hired for uh, some strengths finder work with a team. And I think their intention was for me to come in and fix that one person. Yes. What was your experience with that? Because I, I could see you're, you're like, oh, yes, I've had that experience, too. Because I, I wasn't sure. I, I went in there knowing. I, I Like, I think I knew this, but I hadn't consciously decided to address it because I, I it was kind of in the back of my head. So when was your experience with that and, and what, what happened with that? I think I've had, I've observed that as a pattern over the years. Um where generally speaking, when people come to me or, or to my company and say, you know, can you help us with X, Y, E? It's usually, they're, they're one of two 
uh, mindsets operating. So one is that there's a person that is the problem, right? And so come in to the kind of to your example, coach this person, work with this person, do, do something with this person, and that will fix the system because everything else is perfect. It's just this one person, right? So there's sort of that assumption. On the other side, and what's I just find really fascinating is the psychology around all of this. I think that's a whole other, you know, thing we could talk about for days. But other times folks come to us and say, you know, we've recognized that our culture, um, our system, things are not as they should be. So we want to work on that. And they are quick to sort of dismiss the impact of individual actors within that system as also being problematic, right? So usually people say it's the person, a person, or it's the system, right? Right. It's not us. It's hard for people to hold both and say, oh, both could be true, or these things could be reinforcing each other. So we like to find out sort of what is the the starting mindset? How, How is the potential client framing the problem? Are they understanding that? And then I think really our first step is, do we need to reframe that? You know, do we need to help them kind of affirm or, you know, expand the understanding of what's the problem before we can really work toward, you know, any kind of shift? Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but the external placement of, of the the problems that are happening in your organization or in your team within an organization. Yes, I've definitely seen that. That's so fascinating. When you think about the psychology behind it, this, um, well, there are two sides of that as well, that um, I forget what it's called, but when your people believe they're experts or especially good at something that they actually know nothing about where they're and then the the opposite is people with that imposter phenomenon where they really are experts in something but they keep thinking somebody's going to figure out they're not so what has been your experience with those two within a team yeah i think um very often this will this will relate at least in part to the identities we hold. So it's interesting to me that you do see some consistent patterns. I've seen some very consistent patterns along uh, gender identity lines, along you know racial, ethnic identity lines, um, especially for how that sort of sorts out within a team. So to be more precise about it, I would say that you know very often it tends to be people who identify as female tend to display more of that imposter syndrome, generally speaking, than people who identify otherwise. Um, Same thing with people holding what I would uh, categorize as historically excluded identities. You know, they're Black, they're people of color, um, perhaps LGBTQ or some intersection of that. And so I think where our understanding has really kind of leaped forward in the last couple of years, and and I would include my own in that, is to appreciate that that is a nuance we have to deal with, and we can't 
sort of set that aside. We have to make sure that we include that in any kind of um, process that we're working through, right, on a team where let's say part of it is to say, well, there's a few people here who don't know what they're talking about and need need some maybe some tough love around that. And then there are some people who are way giving themselves way too much tough love. And we need them to, you know, step up out of that and and contribute in a at a higher level. Um we, we can't leave identity out of that. We really have to to understand how to work with both. Um I don't think it's helpful to tell women, for example, well you just need to lean in, you just need to step up. Right. Right. You just need to do like <laughs> that's nobody's really ever boring. told me that, by the way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> sure not, Sarah. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's really ignoring and dismissing years and years of their life experience that has really told them otherwise, whether it was overtly or or very subtly. So I think that we we really have an opportunity to say, how do we kind of integrate both perspectives and do that better. I think that's where people get the support they need to really, really move forward. Agreed. Agreed. I, I don't think we talk enough about how the the our experiences have shaped the way that we process information because it's so different. And I think that's part of why I like StrengthsFinder so much is that it's you can talk through why a person processes information in the way that they do and then you end up uncovering some of the origin stories of those difficulties yes so um for instance like my command this is why people have rarely told me i need to lean in i need to you know speak more <laughs> never been a thing <laughs> but when i saw that in my top strength I groaned. I was like, that is not a strength. That is one of my my biggest weaknesses is my command. And it has gotten me into so much trouble. And it took really intensive coaching from a StrengthsFinder coach for me to see the benefits in that talent and to be able to identify evidence from past stories. So I'm shifting my origin story from when I was criticized for what I do by taking control and, and helping make sense out of chaos to the the understanding of where it showed up to my benefit and to the benefit of all the people around me. But that's I think that's why I like this concept of embracing that identity as part of how we approach things and giving space for that, holding space for that. Yeah, I think it's very powerful and I think it's equally true if you're the person on the team and let's say you're, you know, a white hetero male and and command is one of your strengths. It I also think it's frankly disrespectful to just say, well, you know, you just need to not talk as much or you just need because there there's there there's a reason that they're doing that in the first place. And while we need to hold people accountable for their behavior and their impact, especially when, you know, it's not helpful, uh, we need to approach it with an attitude of compassion and understanding, regardless of, you know, 
whether we like that person's origin story or we don't like it, you know, <laughs> whether we like the way things are or we don't, we we can choose to have that lens of compassion and understanding as a starting point. And I think people always are more likely to go further faster if they feel that the person that's inviting them to do that is coming from that place. Mm-hmm. Doesn't guarantee they're going to get there, but right. more often it will be successful. Absolutely. And those talents are valuable when they're pointed in the right direction, when they're being yes. used with intention, uh, good intention, I should say. Right. Right. There's intention isn't its own thing. I mean, is it? It is its own thing. So you have to kind of associate a value with that at some point. But I, I just was popped back to this whole conversation about the skeptics of the people that you and I work with. And as kind of this full circle, so we can wrap this and, you know, wrap this up and tie a bow on it. When you think of the impact you've had on certain skeptics, what, what do you think of? Like, I, I can imagine that you have a particular person in mind. I, I, three just popped into my head. So, Tell me about one that popped into your head. I think I've had more than three skeptics, and I and you probably have two. I, I will acknowledge, but there's three that that immediately yeah. popped in. And, and I'll I'll tell you, um, one of the ones that popped into my head was a woman that was at a retreat, and um, I had given a gift to each person to represent their natural talents, and she was the first one. It was a very short workshop, and it, uh, this is what taught me never to have these short workshops because they're just not not great for anybody involved, although the rest of the people enjoyed it. But this one woman, she pulled out her gift, and it was a sheet of organizing stickers, pretty with pastel colors and stuff. And she was a ranger and an achiever and discipline, consistency, you know, all in the executing domain, the kind of person that is super organized, gets shit done. This is somebody I need in my corner because I have none of those talents. So I gave her these and the idea was for each person to pull out their gift and have the other people at the table who know them talk about why it fits. And what that does is it helps give them a visual image of what they're really good at and how it helps other people look at them like, oh, that's what she's really good at. It gives you just a cue. It also acknowledges how accurate this tool can be, that I can buy exactly the right gift for you and I've never met you before in my life. And by gift, it is, it really is. And and by gift, I mean uh, symbol, because this woman did not see these stickers as a gift. She was really hostile. She was saying things like, I don't know why I got these stupid stickers. <laughs> oh, and I, I really was, taken aback. I've never had anybody <laughs> respond that way to me because generally people know my intention is to guide and and tell them how wonderful they are. So this was really, a, it, it triggered me because I was so puzzled by the whole hostility. I can tell you that through the rest of our session, it was a 90 minute session and the rest of the session, the whole feeling, the energy in the whole room had shifted in a really negative way. And it was really hard to keep my energy up and be positive. I did because that's what I do. But I remember thinking, boy, I went really wrong with that. And learning all these lessons, trying to jot down 
things that I wouldn't forget later about maybe I'll change this approach. And this really gave me an idea. And boy, I feel so sad for her that that she's so angry about this because I knew that she had been highly criticized for those talents by the way she was reacting. And it's the same reaction I had to the command. Like, oh, can I just distance myself from that? Because I've had really bad experiences with that. So I knew that's where it was coming from, but I didn't I didn't know ahead of time. But the irony is that the very next day, she was with the rest of the group. I was long gone. And they were doing a, a work session where they were all just working on their own thing at this retreat. And she opened up a binder and pulled out stickers, her own stickers. Oh, God. <laughs> and all of the, the other guests at the table looked over at her and said, ooh, nice stickers. <laughs> oh, boy. And so it just made everything light at that moment, but I wasn't there. So I didn't get to experience that turnaround, but that was my, that was an experience of a skeptic that really, I took to heart and realized that I have to change how I do this. And um, because there's always going to be somebody in the room that looks at these results and goes, "Ugh, those are not strengths. Right. I think that's a great example yeah Yeah. um (laughs) well i'll answer that two ways so i think one um person that really stands to mind is uh, a a leader who we were doing a um everything disc assessment which is you know another assessment and i love strengths finders and um uh that's when we we also really look to but in this particular scenario um one of the things that that i really uh want to help my leaders do well is show up you know in these experiences with their team you know it's an opportunity for them to show some strength as a leader show show character show vulnerability show authenticity all the things that we know are really important for employee engagement for psychological safety you know all those things and so i always do some prep ahead of time around that let's talk about you know what are you how are you thinking you're going to talk at the beginning of the session let's talk about the closing you know and help them rehearse give them some talking points um, whatever's needed for that individual. Some people need a little more support and some people need a little less. But in this case, um, this individual wasn't very open and receptive to a, a lot of suggestion on the front end. And I um, wasn't totally surprised by that because in this case happened to be someone who identifies as he, but he not only you know, didn't want that support, but during the session was just completely shut down. And so there are various points in time in the exercises we went through where I would invite him to, you know, make a comment or um, invite him into the conversation. And he just like refused to participate. And so it did create a very weird energy in the room because when the leader is disconnected from the process like that, everybody else is sort of unsure should i be participating is this a good thing is it a bad thing so it was it was really disruptive to that to that experience um 
being beneficial for the team. And that was, that was really unfortunate. But it also was really striking that he was so shut down. And so clearly there's been some trauma. There's been, there's some unresolved issues there that unfortunately in the moment I wasn't able to support fully. Um, and he wasn't receptive to follow up either. So uh, to me, that, that was a skeptic, but also, you know, kind of a traumatized skeptic. And it, it really, the, the inability as a leader to attend to your own stuff, it really does impact other people. And in this case, it, you know, it impacted 15 other people who could have gotten more out of that time than, than, than they did. Um, so, so that was really unfortunate. I think, um, the other thing I wanted to, to share about skeptics is that I think one of the things I worked hardest on over the years, I'm really proudest of is, uh, my ability to detach at this point from, Mm -hmm. from, (laughs) from those skeptics. Not to make it about you. (laughs) I'm getting better at that, but it's hard. It is hard. I, I wouldn't say that it would never, it, it doesn't affect me now, but I think it, it, it's something that I have, have worked on and, you know, again, changing my mindset around. And I think, um, one of the things that's been helpful for me and we talk about this in our, in our team is, you know, with a client, there are, there are three R's that we look at, whether they're a prospect or someone that, we are in a process with and now we're thinking about doing the next thing and the three r's stand for readiness relevance and realness so we say is is what i'm going to say or what i'm going to propose relevant to them meaning does it actually is it actually gonna um be a solution that could work right is it even relevant readiness is a big one are they ready for it it might be absolutely the right thing for that team, that person, that organization. But if they're not ready for it, it that's we can't make them be ready faster. Right. And then the third is realness, which is can we make it something that's so easy for them to apply and integrate that it's actually harder for them not to do that thing or not to make that change. And I think that framework of the three R's has has really helped me detach somewhat from that kind of skeptic. So usually now when I see that skeptical energy, it's like, ah, this is because what I thought was relevant to them maybe isn't so relevant. Or you know what? Like the example I gave, that person wasn't ready. That leader wasn't ready to be in that space. And then third, realness. Usually that's the one that's more on me where, to your point, it's lessons learned. What could have I what could I have done differently so that this um solution or experience really was relevant to them you know I missed the mark somehow or the re- really real for them I missed the mark yeah I I was thinking of two things then as you were speaking and one is um I I said this at a conference that I spoke at last week two weekends ago um for the Montana Farmers Union and one woman asked me about public speaking and and how to how to do that without being nervous and and i said you know one of the hardest lessons i learned was to not pay attention to the skeptics in the room because there might be two or three out of 150 
that I can see are not engaged. And I used to try even harder. I try so hard to engage those two or three people that were clearly not engaged. And it was a total waste of time. I had 148 other people that actually were engaged and wanted to learn. And I was focusing my energy in the wrong place because your audience is your audience. And whoever's not your audience is not going to be your audience the harder you try. <laughs> and right. usually what I find is that they end up joining in when the rest of the audience really gets engaged. Um, I rarely end up with somebody that stays that disengaged person at a workshop. The other thing that popped into my head was about um, this whole idea of readiness and knowing that knowing that you knew this, you knew it ahead of time when you first met with him that he was not ready. And I I, I understand that you, you kind of have to just take that step back. Is there anything that you can do? I mean, really in that situation, it, is there anything you would have done differently now that you look back at it? Yeah, I think that in that particular scenario, um, you know, and again, that was a couple of years ago. So it's always easy to say in hindsight, oh yeah, I wish I'd done that differently. Mm -hmm. But I wish, I think I, I wish I had pushed harder um, prior to the team session to say, you know, I'm getting the sense that you're not, you know, you have some real ambivalence about this. You, you know, you're, you're not sure this is really space that you're going to embrace. Can we talk about that? So I think that's something that we could have tried in hindsight. I'm not convinced it would have been entirely effective because <laughs> that also requires a level of self-awareness that I'm not sure was there for that person, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Oh yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And not, not meant to be critical, just, just an observation, but, um, but I think those learnings are are really important, and and you do you do just like in any field or profession. I think you know we we learn a lot from things we wish we'd done differently, or yes. things that we say. Well, you did that well, but you should have done these three other things too. It could have been amazing. Um, and having a collection of those experiences accumulated over time it really does help us get better. I think I think in this work it's it's really hard to do this work well right out of college, for example. Um, there's a certain amount of life experience and and seasoning and and honing that I, I think life and and just experience provides that hopefully um, our clients benefit from over time. Absolutely, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think a lot about that in terms of the the books that we, we we both wrote and the books that I've read by people, other people that are within my network. And I could not have written the book that I wrote before then, before I wrote it, because I had to have all these experiences in order to share my lessons learned and to continue to be humble and continue to learn and know that I still am figuring stuff out. So let's um, get a quick opportunity to plug your book because it really is, um, it's such a great tool for, especially for new leaders, I think, that are just getting into figuring out how they want to approach leadership 
them maybe differently from anything they have experienced themselves. Yeah, thank you. So the name of the book is Learn, Lead, Lift, How to Think, Act, and Inspire Your Way to Greatness. And one of the things that I I think is great about the book from a utility perspective is that every chapter is really a standalone resource and toolkit. So if you're someone who really doesn't like to read a book, you know, start to finish, or you're a new manager, for example, or you're a new CEO, and you're saying, I just, you know, I want to understand how to get better at holding people accountable, or what is systems thinking all about? Or um, I thought I was really humble, but now everybody's telling me, no, uh, you're not as humble as you think. And is this really a problem? You can go right to that chapter and very quickly and easily absorb some helpful information and have an action plan for what to do about that. So to me, it's the kind of book that um, really lends itself to how we live and work today, which is sometimes we want to go in-depth on a particular topic or we want to go broad. In this case, you know, what's a framework for leadership in the 21st century? But other times we we just need to solve today's problem and we need some quick advice. So I think it's a great book for meeting you where you are as a leader and being able to use it all of those different ways. Mm, Excellent. Oh, that's excellent. Wendy, this has been such a rich conversation. I really don't want it to end, but I also know our listeners only have a certain amount of time to listen to podcasts. So I know that we need to wrap it up. Um, I do want to share with our listeners, as we were talking about um, your experience in Madrid and the different kinds of Spanish that are spoken around the world, I want to share a resource with our listeners, Megan Miller at Aprovechar Language Solutions. Um, And she does incredible work with workshops and uh, Spanish language coaching. And she describes the differences between even Madrid Spanish and Barcelona Spanish and mm-hmm. and and Mexico Mexican Spanish and Spanish that's spoken in other parts of the world. So um, if you are questioning that, we will have a link to Megan's website and her Instagram at the end of the podcast show notes associated with this podcast. We will also have links to purchase Wendy's book and to connect with Wendy on LinkedIn. And is there anything else that we need to include in links on that in those show notes, Wendy? I think that will cover it. I'm just, again, really appreciative that we had this time together and enjoyed the conversation. Me too. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me today on Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will with Wendy Ryan. Listeners, now it's your turn. What kind of healthy self-reflection can you do today to make yourself a better leader no matter where you sit? Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile